So we come this morning to Genesis chapter 21. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis 21, and we're going to go ahead and and jump right on into verse 1 here. We'll read verses 1 and 2, and it says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. So we've been talking about this for many a Sundays now, haven't we? This day that God has promised, the, God, the day that God said would happen, has happened, and Abraham and Sarah now have a son together. The child of promise has been born, and, and God's grand plan continues to unfold. And of course, this was against all earthly odds, that a very old man and a very old woman would have a son together. But like we're told there in verse 1, as he had spoken, so the Lord did. You see, we're talking about Almighty God here. Now, look back for a moment with me as we, as we mention that. Let's look back at chapter 17. So just flip back a few chapters here in your Bible. Genesis 17. And... Let's go ahead and and read verses 1 through 4. So Genesis Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. So, again, this is Almighty God, the great I Am, the everlasting God. And what He has spoken, He will perform. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, who we now see in chapter 21 has come on to the scene. He is the God of Jacob the son that Isaac will go on to have, whose name will be changed to Israel. And he is the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the living God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And I point all of that out to you this morning so that you will know and that you will stand assured that there is one true God that never changes. He is the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. The earth is His, and all that is in it is His as well. And through faith, we are His people today. And He is worthy of all of our praise, worthy of our complete devotion. What He has said is written in His Word and the pages of our Bible. And He's coming again someday. And every eye will see Him because what He has said He will perform. And as we flip back now to Genesis 21, the father of many nations, Abraham, receives the son of promise. And verse 3 continues and says, 
And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. So notice the very succinct distinction made there in verse 3. This son that has been born is the son that Sarah bore to Abraham. We will see when we get to chapter 22 that God considers this to be Abraham's only son. Okay? And as it relates to God's grand plan, he is the promised child. He is the one that God said he would bring forth. His name is Isaac. Because let's not forget, right? We know that Abraham had another son, right? Ishmael from Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. But that child, Ishmael, was produced through the actions of the flesh. That child came from Abraham and Sarah trying to make something happen on their own. So they came up with that plan. And, you know, let's expound on this for a few moments here. If, if you were with us last week, you'll remember that I took you to the New Testament book of Romans. And we looked at chapter 11, right? And we, we saw very clearly how the children of Israel are the elect, the children of promise. And we talked about how all the rest of us, Gentiles, right, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been grafted into that tree, right? They are the natural branches. We are the wild branches. And because of the mercy of God, we have been saved. Also, we know from Romans chapter 11 that it is because of the fact that blindness has come in part to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So once the fullness of the Gentiles have, has come in, whenever that day comes, then the blindness of Israel will be no more. And they will look on him whom they have pierced. And all of Israel from the seed of Isaac will be saved. We studied that last week in Romans chapter 11. Now, I want you to mark this page, and we're going to turn again to the book of Romans. But this time we are going to look at Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And we'll start reading in verse 1. Everybody there? Okay, Romans 9, 1. I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Now, pause right there. Because what we're seeing here, Paul is heart sick. Okay? His heart is aching for some reason here. And we see that reason in verse 3. It says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God, 
Amen. So Paul is sick over the fact that his brethren, his countrymen, the, the Jews, they're missing out on Jesus, their Messiah. And this bothers Paul greatly. But again, we saw last week that he will address the fact in chapter 11 that the Jews were blind for a reason, but still he wishes that they would just receive Christ. Because, you see, it's all about them. The adoption, the, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. These all pertained to the Israelites, the Jews. And just a, a quick side note here. It just makes me wonder how saddened are we over the lost souls of our countrymen, our neighbors, our family members, as we see Paul so saddened here. How does that affect us in regards to the people we know around us that are not born again? But anyway, Paul continues here in verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. So the Apostle Paul is really drilling down on something very specific here in verses 6 and 7. The people of promise, the Israelites of the promise, they're very specific people. It is those that are the seed of Abraham, but not just any seed of Abraham, but very specifically, they are the seed of Isaac. So Paul is saying here that, hey, it's not that the word of God has taken has not taken effect. It's just that there's a specific group of people to whom the promise pertains. And you see, the ultimate promise was that the Messiah was going to come. And in the scriptures, we find that there is only one line of people from whom the Messiah has come. The line started with Abraham and Sarah, and then there was Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, then Jacob and his wife, Rachel, then they had a son named Judah, and on and on the line went all the way till it came to Jesus, the Messiah. And you can read that list of people, if you'd like, by reading Matthew chapter 1. But again, Paul is making a very clear distinction here about a very specific line of people to whom the promise pertained. And he goes on in verse 8 and he says, That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the sea. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So again, the word of God is going to great lengths to make it clear that only the seed that came from Abraham and Sarah were the children of promise. But turn now to the book of Galatians chapter 4. It's three books to the right, where we are here in Romans, just past 2 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 4. 
Here in Galatians chapter 4, we will find that Paul has more to say about this topic that we're studying here this morning. Starting down in verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4, it says, Paul saying here, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Okay, so pause right there because it's important that we note something here. And that is, is that Paul is addressing these believers in Jesus in regards to the way they have been behaving. They have been putting themselves back under the, under the law, the people of Galatia, these believers. Look back here in this chapter for a moment at verse 3. So same chapter, but just look back at verse 3. It says, Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So Paul is telling them here, Hey, when we grew up, we had to observe all these laws that pertain to the elements of the world, like what they ate, right? How they washed and what days they observed. But he goes on in verse 4 to say, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So, who is it that Paul is very very clearly speaking to here? He is speaking to the Jews. They were the ones to whom the law pertained. They were the ones under the law. But God did something new. And he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, Paul tells them. And we talked about this last week, that salvation was of the Jews. It went to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. God was redeeming them from the bondage that the law had them under. And this he did in Jesus Christ. But these Jews in Galatia were putting themselves back under bondage. And it's sad there are Gentile people today involved in a Jewish roots movement, they call it, where they're putting themselves back under the bondage of the law. And Jesus Christ came and set us free from all of that. And Paul's dealing with that very subject here. But what were they doing? Well, look down at at verse 9 and 10. It tells us what they were doing. It says, But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. So, With that in mind, as we look at verse 21 again, this is what Paul's addressing here. And he says down in verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? And then he goes on in verse 22 to address this. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. So the bondwoman was who? It was Hagar, right? And the free woman was Sarah. Verse 23, But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, right? But he who of 
was of the bondwoman, was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. And that promised child, of course, is Isaac. Now, verse 24. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Okay, so stop right there, because what the Apostle Paul is doing here, through the Holy Spirit, of course, he's telling the readers here, us here this morning, that there is some symbolism that we can take out of the story of Abraham and Hagar and Abraham and Sarah, and the symbolism that we can get out of that is that one represents the bondage of the law, the law that was given on Mount Sinai. And then verse 25 says, For this Hagar in Mount Sinai is Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. So Paul is saying here with this symbolism that the Jews of that day, the Jews of his day, they were in bondage under the law. And he's asking these Jews that have now come to faith in Jesus Christ, what are you doing? You observe days and years and months. What are you doing? You're putting yourself back under bondage again. And he says in verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So Paul here is comparing that which is heavenly to that which is earthly. The law of Mount Sinai is earthly, and it puts people into bondage. And you know, this is what many religions do to people today. Because religion is man reaching up to God. But there's no need for that because God reached down to man. So today one must simply come to faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Who at this very present time, where is he? He is above. And the Jerusalem above, as Paul calls it here, speaks of our relationship with God that we now have through Jesus Christ. Again, staying in the context here, back in verse 4, we saw where it said, But when the fullness of the Gentiles had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Then verse 27 here continues, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, verse 27 there is a direct quote from the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, and verse 1. This was a prophecy that was filled in the fact that there are now many more Christians than there are Jews. The Jews were indeed the children of promise, and God has not cast them off as we studied last week. okay, They've not been replaced by the church today. But now there are more that have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, more people, that is, more souls that have come to the heavenly Jerusalem than people that come to the earthly Jerusalem. And the heavenly Jerusalem is the mother of us all. Both Jews and and Gentiles now come to faith in Jesus Christ and are sons and daughters of God. You know, the Apostle Paul said 
So we preach Christ and Him crucified. And I think it's very important for us today as believers in Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ, that we preach Christ and Him crucified. And that we don't make the mistake of putting people back under the bondage of the law. Okay? Because Christ is in us all. If you've been born again, Christ is in you. That's your hope of glory. And, and you don't live in accordance with the law anymore as it pertains to a religious law. Right? You are now free in Christ. Now, you don't have the liberty to sin, and we're not going to go into all that, but of course you all know that here. You've heard my teachings in regards to that in the past. But the point is, is don't put yourself under the bondage of religion. Don't put yourself under the bondage of the law. And, and for those Christians today that are turning back to the, the Jewish law and putting themselves under something like that, they're putting themselves under something that has been done away with at the cross of Christ. Now, verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So this is sad but true, isn't it? The Jews, the children of promise, continue to this very day to be persecuted by those who were born according to the flesh. In other words, those that descended from Abraham and Hagar still persecute those that descended from Abraham and Sarah. But Scripture says in verse 30 here, Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So that's what Paul is stressing there, that we're free in Christ. We've been set free from the bondage of the law. And reading verse 1 of chapter 5, let's just go on one more verse here in Galatians. Uh, verse 1, chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we learn so much, don't we, from the story of Abraham and Sarah. And now, of course, the promised child Isaac, right? We learn so much. The seed that was Isaac would be the people of promise. Not all of Israel is, is the Israel of promise, the people of promise. It's the seed of Isaac, right? And we, as Gentiles who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, have been grafted in to that. We have become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Jews, as Jesus stated. But in God's mercy, we too have been welcomed into that tree of salvation. And you can read about the, the first time that the, the, the uh, gospel went to a Gentile is in Acts chapter 10, where Peter went. And Peter had to be cleared up of his prejudice. He had to come to a place where he realized, hey, this, this is not just for the Jews. God is sending the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles as well. Right? And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 21, hopefully you had that page marked. Genesis chapter 21, we continue in verse 4. 
Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. You see, that's what the name Isaac means. It means laughter. And to Sarah, this indeed was a humorous thing. Humorous in an ironic kind of way. Sarah laughs because she's such an old woman who bears a child, right? And Sarah believes that everyone's going to think that that's kind of funny, right? Verse 7, she also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So it's kind of funny, too, that Abraham would become a dad again at his age, isn't it? Verse 8, so the child grew and, and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So scripture here kind of fast-forwarded on us right there, didn't it? It jumped ahead, and we went from Isaac being eight days old and circumcised to him being weaned. And we're not quite sure how old he is here, but... I would say at least two years old, right? Who knows? But verse 9 says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Okay, so what is it that Sarah is seeing taking place here? Well, like I always tell you, do your best to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Do you remember where we just read back in Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, where the Apostle Paul said that he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. This is what Paul was talking about. Right? And this is what's happening here. Ishmael is picking on Isaac, and Sarah is fed up with it. She's had enough. In verse 10, therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Now, again, we read that also in Galatians chapter 4, didn't we? It was in verse 30 of Galatians chapter 4, but Paul used it as symbolism for not putting yourself under the yoke of bondage, which is the law. But this incident here where Ishmael is picking on Isaac is a very intense moment. It's a very heated moment. And Sarah says, get him, Ishmael that is, right? Get him and his mama out of here. I've had enough. And you know what? Sarah was right to say what she said. Why? Because she's the wife. She's the free woman. She's the woman of promise. And verse 11 says, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. So this has got to be tough on Abraham, no doubt. He's probably saying, Ufda, what do I do now? Now, Ufda is not Hebrew, I know, it's a Scandinavian word, but you get the point here, right? Abraham's probably perplexed. But God said in verse 12, but God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. 
So how much is the Lord God stressing this fact that in Isaac your seed shall be called? In Isaac, in Isaac, in Isaac. And again, it's Sarah that had the child of promise. And she has the right to say what she's saying. You know, she is stuck by Abraham, as I've mentioned before. And she was chosen by God to bear the child of promise. But God comforts Abraham here in verse 13 in regards to all this. And he says, yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Ishmael would indeed produce a nation of people, but he is simply not the child of promise. Isaac was. Verse 14, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot, for she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. So Hagar, too, is going through a time of great despair here, isn't she? She's been cast out. Her and her teenage son, because that's about the age that Ishmael is here. But, you know, Abraham must not have communicated properly with Hagar when he sent her away with Ishmael here, because God had already told Abraham. In verse 13, we saw there that God told Abraham that he would make a nation of the son of the bondwoman. So Ishmael was not going to die as Hagar seems to think here. But she's weeping and she's crying out. And you know what? Ishmael must have been crying out too. Because verse 17 says, And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. So the angel tells Hagar what Abraham did not tell her. Then verse 19, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew, and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So, Hagar is now a single mom, right? By no choice of her own, raising up a son and doing all she can to take care of his every need. And God provided for her. And though her son was not the child of promise through whom God will bring the chosen people and ultimately the Messiah, nonetheless, Ishmael would still be the father of many people. There would be a great nation that come out of him. But they would be a people that would always be a thorn in the side of the children of Israel. They would always be scoffers, persecuting Israel, instigators. Verse 22, And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Pichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, 
God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now, so the scene shifts here from the story of Hagar and Ishmael being cast out and all of that. It shifts, and and we see something taking place here. We see where Abimelech was very concerned at this point. Well, why was he concerned? Well, because of what Abraham had done to him in pulling that Sarah is my sister trick that we read about last week. Abimelech could plainly see that God was on Abraham's side after all, and Abimelech had a dream in which God warned him not to mess with Sarah. So he knew that God was on Abraham's side. So if God's on Abraham's side, Abimelech doesn't want any problems with Abraham at all. Abimelech is rightfully reverencing the God of Abraham here. He's respecting and honoring the God of Abraham and knowing that God is on Abraham's side and that God's working something in Abraham's life. Abimelech could plainly see that. So Abraham swears that there'll be no problems. And then verse 25 continues, then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. So again, Abraham promises Abimelech that there would be no problems between them, but he did need to address something with Abimelech here. And you know, as I studied for this teaching, it came to my mind here that you and I can live in peace with people around us, but yet from time to time there are things that just needs to be you know, talked out and discussed, right? Abraham does the right thing here to try to settle this problem quickly. And in verse 26, it says, And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abimelech is saying, Hey, Abraham, this is the first thing I've heard about this. Right? But you know, as you think about this, little dispute over a well, you, you can imagine that as a sheep herder, both Abraham and Abimelech, uh, to them a well was a very important thing. It provided both for their animals and their farmhands as well. So there needs to be a solution to this problem here. And verse 27 says, So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Okay, so Abraham, what he did here was he offered a solution to the problem. And the two of them agreed to it. So what we see here is conflict resolution taking place. And they both agreed to the deal. But there's something more that Abraham does here in verse 28. And it says, And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Now a ewe is a female sheep. Verse 29, Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? So Abimelech, he seems a bit confused here. He's like, "Mm, 
okay, Abraham, I, I agreed to this deal here, but what's with these seven female sheep over there that are set off to the side? Then in verse 20, Abraham says, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that it may be my witness that I have dug this well. Oh, so we see that Abraham kind of sweetened the deal here. And he's telling Abimelech that by taking these extra uh, seven female sheep, you're testifying that I dug this well. You see, the servants of Abimelech laid claim to the well, but it belonged to Abraham. He's the one that dug it. But again, do you notice the peaceful way in which Abraham dealt with this whole situation here? He didn't start a war over it. He simply waited till the time was right. He trusted in God with what he had. Abimelech came along to make sure there was peace between him and Abraham, and Abraham used that time wisely to settle a dispute in a gentle kind of way. And we can learn a lot from that type of conflict resolution. We shouldn't be stingy takers with hearts that are unwilling to share. Instead, we should always behave ourselves in a manner that displays that we have a Lord, a Lord that owns all and and is in control of all. The well was rightfully Abraham's, but he was a given man. And he handled things here in a very diplomatic way. And once this dispute was settled, verse 31 says, Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. So Beersheba here simply means well of the living oath. And that's what happened at this well. They made an oath. Verse 32. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pichol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So by planting this tree, Abraham had established a boundary marker for the land that would belong to Israel. So once again, a lot to learn in one chapter of Scripture here. A couple of cases of conflict resolution. huh? Sarah wanted Hagar and Ishmael out, and Abraham was told by the Lord to listen to Sarah. But God was in control of that whole situation, wasn't he? And he still is in complete control today. And we don't need to put ourselves under the bondage of religion because we serve a living God that takes care of us. Our God is not fashioned by the hands of men. Our God sits on the throne above, represented in Scripture as the heavenly Jerusalem. And we are not in bondage to the law. The law was good, right? In that it revealed sin, which put us which puts us in bondage as well, but in Christ we have been set free. Sarah and Hagar are symbolic to us of one being free and one being in bondage. That which enslaves us today is sin, and sin is to be cast out of our lives, right? The greatest conflict that needs to be resolved for mankind is sin. Sin destroys, but Jesus sets free. 
and Jesus makes all things new. And we now, as believers in Jesus, followers of his, now are to live with him as our Lord and our Master. There are things that we need to do here on this earth. There are conflicts that will arise as we go through this life. But in those conflicts, we can learn from Abraham that we are to be givers, peaceful people, making the situation right, to treat others as we ourselves would desire to be treated. That's what our Lord desires for us to do. Because ultimately, God's will will be done. You can count on that. But we still need to continue today to walk by faith through this life. We've once again seen in Abraham today how a man of faith behaves. Even when he was faced with a very difficult situation, the situation where he had to send his son away, Ishmael. He did it, and he did so by faith, knowing that God is God, and his will is above all. And God has always provided for his people, and he always will. And we will see next week when we get to chapter 22, we will see Abraham's faith be extremely tested. Tested in such a way that we will marvel. We will say, I can't, I don't understand this. This is amazing. But Abraham will pass that test with flying colors. And he will continue to be a man of faith in God. And the question for us is where are we in our faith? Do we trust in God in this way? Do we, you know, when we see a difficult situation like this here in this chapter where Abraham has to send his son away in obedience to God? Uh, And then we'll see next week, like I said, and I don't want to steal from next week's teaching, but, you know, we'll see next week that he's going to be put to the test in regards to Isaac as well. And, you know, we're not being asked to shed blood today. We're not being asked to to do anything hard at all. All we need to do is come to Christ and put our faith completely in Him and trust in Him and love Him above all else and be obedient to the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank You for Your Word, God. Your word from which we can grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. I pray for all of us here today and for those that will listen to this teaching, to this recorded teaching. I pray that you will spark in their hearts a desire to know you and that they will then open the Bible, your holy word, and begin to read about you, and that they will surrender their lives to you, Lord, and turn from the sin of this world and the ways of this world and repent and turn unto you, the living God. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. 
who teaches us, who comforts us, who counsels us, leads and guides us through this life. You have not left us comfortless and alone, Lord. You have given us of your Spirit. And we pray that as we go forward into a new week, that your will would be done in each and every aspect of our lives, Lord, but that we would recognize your will for our lives, that you would keep us from being distracted by the things of this world, that we would stay focused on the things of your word. Again, we thank you for this time together, and we pray all of this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.